0: everybody, and welcome to this that. Monday like edition of the blast. Logan Blackman like Show, blast. and good freaking right Lord, up. Jonathan, if you're gonna do that to me, at least take me out to dinner first. That's, a, that's all I'm asking here. I don't ask a lot here, but if you're gonna treat me like that, at least say, hey, Logan, hey, Bills, would you like to go out to eat at a fancy restaurant? Sure, Jonathan, I would love to do that. I would love to go to a fancy restaurant with you, Treat me right. Not just take advantage of me like that. <laughs> Those of you who are completely oblivious to what I am talking about, the Indianapolis Colts just shit stomped the absolute shit <laughs> out of the Buffalo Bills. Good Lord, genetically jackhammered, bent them over, took advantage of them. Whatever you, Whatever euphemism or phrase or whatever you wanna call it, it was miserable. But, that being said, though it was an atrocity of a performance by the Buffalo Bills, I was more depressed after the 6-9 LOL loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars a few weeks ago. And this loss today meant more, in the grand scheme of things, than that loss to the Jaguars game, in some, some circles, I guess. Because if you don't lose to the Jaguars and you lose this game, I guess it's the same scenario, but if you lose to the Jaguars and don't lose this game, I... There's a lot of things. Either way, good lord, there was... There was not a moment in this game where I thought they're going to do something. They're going to do something. Similar feeling to what I had the Jaguars game, but unlike that game, it wasn't close. Like ever. (laughs) It was an awful, 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 awful game. I don't even remember what the final score was. (laughs) I kind of forgot about what the final score was. and The game just ended. 41 to 15 was the final. Okay. First drive of the game, Jonathan Taylor scores a touchdown. Bills' first drive of the game. They drive down the field, they get a first down, and then a false start penalty moves them back, and then Josh Allen throws an interception to the Colts, and then, lo and behold, Jonathan Taylor scores again. And not only did Jonathan Taylor score on those two drives, he scored three more times after that. In the game, Jonathan Taylor had five touchdowns and 185 yards on the ground to couple with 19 yards receiving. Okay? And I know there's going to be some Bills fans out there that will say Star Lutalele was out, so that's why Jonathan Taylor went off today. Star, if you did not know, is the Bills starting nose tackle. He's not the biggest guy out there, but he does clog up holes very nicely. And to those people I say, to the same thing my dad said earlier today, they didn't have Star when they played in the playoffs last year, or I guess in January. And they held him to 65-something yards. They didn't have him then, because Starr sat out all the 2020-2021 season with COVID, or due to COVID. He sat out the season. They didn't have him this game. They did not look close to even being in this game at all. Like, right before the game started, it was like, I'm nervous for Jonathan Taylor, but there's not a lot of other things on this Colts team that really scare me. I know Carson Wentz has had a decent year this year, but this isn't like MVP Carson Wentz. Like, he had a decent game, decent enough game, uh, 106 yards and a touchdown in the game. He didn't need to do a lot. Bills just let Jonathan Taylor do whatever the hell he wanted. And then a couple on, some of these things the Bills did, they added stupid penalties on top of that as well. Roughing the passers, personal foul calls, false starts that kill drives, holding calls. It was just stupid. They, got, they sat Carson Wentz on third down, got called for a defensive holding. Jonathan Taylor breaks out a massive run. Jordan, Ta- Jordan Poyer gets a personal foul penalty for a late hit out of bounds. We already talked about Cody Ford's penalty. And then once the Bills look like they got, they got something going. Just something. It's 7-17. Something's going. The Bills are getting the ball back, and this will be awesome because the Bills will get the ball back. Score a touchdown, kill all the clock, and go into halftime down by three. That's what was going to happen. And then Isaiah McKenzie returns a kick, falls over, not tripped up, falls over, and the ball squirts out, and nobody but Indianapolis Colts players are right next to the ball and pick it up and almost score. And then that's where we saw Jonathan Taylor score another touchdown. So now it's 7-24 going into halftime, but the Bills get another shot. They go down the field. And you know what's going on in this game. As we talked about, they clearly can't stop Jonathan Taylor. They have no answers for him. So what do the Bills do going into halftime? Settle for field goals. And Tyler Bass, who hasn't missed a field goal and it feels like all, forever, I don't remember last time he missed a field goal, misses at halftime, hits the upright. I think it was a 57-yard attempt. Misses. Hits the upright. Going to halftime down 27, 24-7. But hey, you get the ball to start the second half. Do nothing then either. Again, nothing. Later, Tyler Bass misses another field goal. This one was never close. Like a 46-yard attempt. Never close. Wide left. And then Jonathan Taylor scores again. And then again. They were never in this game at all. Now, Stephon Diggs, two touchdowns in the game. Nice. But 23 yards in the game as well. Matt Breida, who is clearly the Bills' best running back, didn't play until the fourth quarter, and he had 51 yards. This is a bottom five pass defense, the Indianapolis Colts, and they couldn't do anything. I don't know what it was. The O line sucks. We've talked about that before during the Jaguars game with Spencer Brown being out, and I've said Bills fans loved Spencer Brown when he got drafted. Everybody in Buffalo loves Spencer Brown. Everybody in Iowa loves Spencer Brown. And then he's out with COVID, or at least close contact with COVID. So Cody Ford, who started the game against the Jaguars, starts again in the Bills. After watching the film of that Jaguars game, watching how terrible the offensive line played, played the exact same unit against a better defense. You know how scared I was with the thought process of Cody Ford trying to block the Forrest Buckner? That is a terrifying thought. (laughs) But they have no other options. Then Their option, here was what they did, they signed Bobby Hart, one of the worst off the linemen, not just in the 21st century, in NFL history, who has thrown more look, no look, jeez, more lookout blocks than anybody I've ever seen in NFL history. And there was a thought by many Bills fans out there that Bobby Hart was going to start this game. Cody Ford has been bad. He has not been Bobby Hart bad. Like I put DJ Fluker in that same category as well. And I saw some Bills fans asking to sign DJ Fluker a little bit ago. No, don't do that either. You don't need both Fluker and Bobby Hart on the same team. It's bad mojo. But the Bills online stinks. I mean, we've talked about this before. I like Deion Dawkins a lot. But ever since getting COVID in the offseason, he hasn't played the same at all. The interior line sucks. We talked about preseason. Mitch Morris is one of the best pass-blocking centers in the NFL, but also one of the worst run-blocking centers in the NFL. Their line sucks, okay? And I remember going into the season, everyone's like, oh, the Bills have a really good off the line. No, they don't. Josh Allen just moves around so much that he doesn't get hit. We can only move around so much, and that's what you saw in this game. That's what you saw against the Jaguars. Jaguars game, that's the most he ever got beat up. And that's the Jacksonville freaking Jaguars. This Bills team killed the Colts through the air in the playoff game. The game was close, but they made some great plays through the air. Deep passes all over the place. And I know it was raining, but the Bills have played in a ton of rain games this year. And I've seen the argument of some Bills fans going, this is team dome weather now, or team dome guys now because it was raining. They won the other games when they played in rain. It's not also like the Colts were in a dome or weren't affected by the rain at all. I hate that argument. I watched a freaking video on the ice bowl and then a video on the fog bowl. The freaking losing teams, the Cowboys and the Eagles, were both like, we shouldn't have played that game. It's not like the Packers and the freaking Bears weren't playing in the same conditions. makes no sense. It's not, and I know, oh, we're, we, they came up from the south. Cowboys, Cowboys, Green Bay, completely different weather. It's not like the Packers played in that condition every single week. There is warm weather in the Midwest. Boiling hot warm weather in the Midwest. But the Colts played the exact same conditions. You know why they kicked the Bills' ass in this game? It's because they have strengthened the line on both sides of the ball. The offensive line and the defensive line. They have one of the best units in both of those. I know their pass defense isn't that great, but they have really good lines. And they've, what do you call this? You They've addressed the needs on these lines. Bills haven't. The Bills got two defensive ends this past year. Interior D line kind of stinks. Star is not great. His impact is big, but that's not saying a lot. Because <laughs> the rest of the interior D line is not very good either. Bill's interior line, probably bottom three in the NFL, if I'm being honest. And this is a little overreactionary at this point in time, because you just watched the team lose to the Indianapolis Colts. And not only that, you are now second place in the AFC East to the freaking New England Patriots, are in the wild card spot right now. Your Thursday losses from the Saints away from being in the hunt. This is supposed to be one of the most complete teams in the NFL. And I still believe this is one of the most talented teams in the NFL. But I don't know what the hell is going on. If they play a semi-decent team, they fold like that. This is at home. They are 1-3 in three against the AFC South. Easily the worst division in football. The one win they have was against the freaking Te- Texans. They lost the Jaguars and Colts. Jaguars hadn't won a game on U.S. soil in 400-something days. The last win on U.S. soil came week one of the 2020-2021 no, season. The last win came over in London. And then the Bills go against the Colts, a team they should beat, though Jonathan Taylor has been balling out this year. They should beat the Colts. Every team they have lost to this year, they should have won. This game, though... I'm talking about pregame. Like, you go into these games, you go, okay, they should win this game. As we're talking about just this game in general, they got their asses kicked. Asses got handed to the Bills on this game. And Jonathan Taylor, I don't know what's, if he hasn't just been mentioned in the MVP race, for some reason, he's guaranteed fantasy MVP this year. Or not guaranteed, Cooper Cupps had a very good year. We gave him the office player of the year last week. Or two weeks or whenever we did the midseason awards thing. But Jonathan Taylor has to be mentioned in the MVP race this year. He has to be. Since week three, he has scored a touchdown in every game. Since the game against the Titans. He had a touchdown against Miami. One against the Ravens, two against the Texans, one against the Niners, one against the Titans, two against the Jets, one against the Jaguars, and four against the Bills. And then he also had a receiving touchdown against the Ravens where he totaled 116 yards on the, through the air and then had a touchdown against the Bills through the air as well. He is over 1,000 yards on the season. He's the first player this season to have over 1,000 rushing yards. And at this point, before the game started, Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry had the exact same number of yards, 937 yards. Derrick Henry had 219 carries to Jonathan Taylor's 161. That's six, almost 60 more carries than Jonathan Taylor, and they have the exact same number of yards, and Jonathan Taylor, at before this game started, had six more touchdowns. Averaged almost two more yards a carry than Derrick Henry. A yard and a half, pretty much. Like, Jonathan Taylor is a freaking baller. And this season, I know in the grand scheme of things, you know I've said Chris McCaffrey is the best running back in the NFL, when everything's going and when he's not battling injuries. But Jonathan Taylor, this year, has been the best running back in the NFL. Easily the best fantasy running back. Not even really close in that department. But good Lord. And remember preseason when we were talking about my fantasy draft and someone was going at me for drafting Jonathan Taylor and Najee Harris? Look at what they're doing now. Najee Harris is sixth in the NFL in rushing yards. This season with 646. Like... Oh, <laughs> uh, that, that take will keep getting funnier and funnier. By the next year, when we come around to the NFL, the fantasy football draft again, I'll bring that up a thousand times because Jonathan Taylor will be in the running, be drafted first overall in fantasy football because their O-line will be 100% healthy at this point next year. Not a, a injured Quentin Nelson that's barely playing this year, who's the best guard in the NFL. Like, imagine coming into the NFL... And just being the best guard from the start. He made, in his first three years, he made first-team All-Pro. He's the first player to do that since frickin' Barry Sanders. Like, Quentin Nelson is insane. He's just been hurt a lot this year. And Jonathan Taylor has been insane. And this game, this reminded me, I don't know if a lot of you remember this game, but a few years ago, the Buffalo Bills played the Pittsburgh Steelers when Le'Veon Bell was still really good. And Le'Veon Bell did similar things to the Bills that day that Jonathan Taylor did to the Bills today. I don't remember the exact stats, but when I was watching this game, it was like, this is like watching Le'Veon Bell, and it was snowing like crazy in Buffalo too. Or like crazy, it was snowing. I guess it wasn't like crazy. It wasn't like the Colts-Bills game a few years ago where the Bills rocked their red uniforms and it was three feet of snow on the ground. (laughs) Oh my God, this game was awful. (laughs) There was never a point... Where this is similar to the Jaguars game in some, some respects, where I never thought the bills were going to do anything. I never thought they were doing anything. But unlike the Jaguars game, this game was over. Like it, it was terrible. 41 to 15 to the Indianapolis Colts. And this isn't, just isn't no disrespect to the Indianapolis Colts. But good Lord! They allowed the Jets to score thirty points on them. The Bills just shit stomped the Jets last week. They had the Jaguars come back against them to lose twenty three to seventeen. The Colts, the Jaguars came back, but lost twenty three to seventeen. I worded that kind of weird. They let the Ravens come back against them, losing overtime. They have lost a lot of big games and blown leads. And the Bills at home couldn't do anything. Because their line stinks. Their defense couldn't stop Jonathan Taylor. It was nothing. I want to know how many negative plays he had in this game. Maybe one that I can remember. Jonathan Taylor just had his way with the Buffalo Bills defense. And sure, they were missing Tremaine Edmonds, star, as we said before. But do those guys really keep Jonathan Taylor from destroying this game. Maybe he has, what, 130 yards and three touchdowns? But he ain't getting stopped. The Colts are still winning the game. It was bad. So bad that in the fourth quarter, the Bills just pulled Josh Allen, which is smart because you're not coming back in this game. Don't want to risk him getting hurt. And I know he had a bad game, but we're still not backing off Josh Allen here. But this is the second time this year where I've gone on the you can't have games like this and be MVP. This is exactly what we said after the Jaguars game. I'm saying it again after the Bills-Colts game. It's not that he played atrocious in this game, but he did not play good by any stretch of the imagination. He's trying to play hero ball a little too much and trying to force things that aren't there, which is somewhat of an issue. Somewhat. It's a big issue. Oh, my God. It's tough. It makes it worse because of the fact the Patriots just passed them in the standings. And a few weeks ago, we talked about how the Patriots were not that close to the Bills. Or not scaring the Bills. Now they're in front of them. So that takes looks stupider by the day. We'll get to some more stupid takes. Not by me, but we're going to make fun of some other people as we get later in the show. More on college football. I think you know when I say college football bad takes, you know exactly the player I'm going to talk about. I'm going to love talking about this when we get to it. But not right now. We're, we're ranting about the Bills getting shit stomped by the Colts. But yeah, I... Jonathan Taylor, I mean, good lord. He had 50 fantasy points today. I have him in fantasy football. 50 points. 50. I've never seen that before from a running back. They put up numbers for Jonathan Taylor. They were having same numbers as Ladanian frickin' Tomlinson. One of the greatest running backs of all time. And I've loved seeing on Twitter that <laughs> La- uh, freaking Jonathan Taylor's getting mentioned, or LaDainian Tomlinson's getting mentioned on Twitter again. Jonathan Taylor has now recorded 100-plus scrimmage yards and at least one-plus rushing touchdown in eight straight games, tying the all-time NFL record tied by Ladanian Tomlinson and Liddell Mitchell. We talked about this. Ladanian Tomlinson had 31 touchdowns one season. Jonathan Taylor going to hit that? No. I don't think anybody is. I think that's a record even if you added games, it's not going to change anything. So Jonathan Taylor now has 13 touchdowns on the ground and two through the air. So he's at 15 total touchdowns right now. And he's over halfway done through the season. Danny Thomas had 31 in one season. I don't think he's getting that. He definitely ain't getting 28 rushing touchdowns, I can tell you that. But good freaking God. And this, this isn't a surprise because Jonathan Taylor balled out in Wisconsin. He had back to back 2,000 yard rushing seasons. Like, Jonathan Taylor being a good running back is not a surprise to anybody. But this year, good Lord. First player to reach over 1,000 yards this season. Carried the Colts offense. And yeah, that. It was funny. It's funny how it kind of played out, how the game actually played out, because we talked about this on Friday about how. Jonathan Taylor just needs to score one touchdown and have over 100 yards to lose 41 to 7, 45 to 7. Ironically, the game ended up being 41 to 15 to favor the Colts, not the Bills. But we almost got the score right. It was a score at It's the first time this score's ever been made in NFL history, so that's kind of cool in some aspects. <laughs> but some other games that we had today. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens took on the Chicago Bears. Ravens won with Huntley. Tyler Huntley playing quarterback for the Bears. And I was kind of surprised. I mean. I should state this before. So, Lamar Jackson was out sick, and Tyler Huntley started the game. And if you don't remember Tyler Huntley from Utah, he was a baller at Utah. Very similar skill set to Lamar Jackson. Not the same player, but very similar skill set. And NFL Network kind of just brushed him off about how the Bears will win because they trust Justin Fields more than Tyler Huntley. Sure. You don't realize, you remember the Bears suck ass this year, right? Like, they're bad. And I don't know if Justin Fields got hurt or Justin Fields got benched, or what. I didn't watch a second of this game. But Andy Dalton came in, played pretty decently, threw two touchdowns, didn't complete a high number of passes, but threw two touchdowns in the game. Darnell Mooney went off in the game 121 yards and a touchdown. And Tyler Huntley didn't have a passing touchdown or a rushing touchdown, but he did play all right for his first ever start, probably figure out he's going to start today. At least that's when we got the update. I don't know if he knew beforehand or if we all found out at the exact same time like when Justin Herbert started for the Chargers when Tyrod got his lungs punctured. Like five minutes before the game started, he's like, yeah, you're starting. And speaking of Tyrod Taylor, good lord. as If the Bills didn't win today, I can at least smile knowing Tyrod Taylor and the Texans beat the Tennessee Titans. And you know, I don't like the Tennessee Titans. You should know this by now. I think most people in the NFL don't really like the Titans. I think they're all a bunch of douchebags. I don't think anybody really likes them. And Tyrod Taylor, two rushing touchdowns. One hurtling over Imani Hooker, former Iowa Hawkeye, for the win over Tennessee. The Titans have three losses on the season. Two of them are to the Jets and Texans. Who the hell is the best team in the AFC? I would love to know who that team is. The Texans, two of their losses were to the freaking Jets and Texans. Two teams the Bills beat fairly easily. Their loss coming to Cardinals week one where they got absolutely shit stomped. Bills lost to the Jaguars and got piss-pounded by the Indianapolis Colts this week, a team the Titans just swept this season. The Ravens have played really good at times and then got destroyed by the freaking Bengals. The Chiefs seem to be coming into form right now. They're up 15-3 on the Cowboys right now. They seem to be coming into their own right now. The Browns, they won 13-10 over the 0-9-1 Lions, which is not very surprising at all. Like they were favored by 12 and a half. They scored 13 points today. <laughs> and this is with freaking Tim Boyle starting the game for the Detroit Lions because Goff was out with an injury. DeAndre Swift balled out as well. 136 yards touchdown. And we have Kyler Zolaire starting as well and scoring a touchdown for the Chiefs. So every running back in the first three running backs selected in the 2020 draft have scored touchdowns. It's just the same the best one got drafted second. <laughs> the, the worst one got drafted first. But, yeah, goodness gracious. Browns beat the Lions, but at what cost? Uh, Vikings beat the Packers. This is freaking awesome. I don't really give a shit about either team. I just think it's kind of funny the Vikings beat the Packers and won by a last-second field goal by Greg Grossov. Adam Thielen, insane catch and awareness on the sideline. Should have probably been picked off. Thielen stayed still, got it, and got a big game for the Vikings there to close out the game. Justin Jefferson, unsurprisingly, balled out. 169 yards, two touchdowns. Dude's a baller. We've talked about that ever since he got drafted. Talked about before he got drafted. Talked about how shocked we were when the Eagles drafted Jalen Rager. Dude's a freaking baller. Speaking of the Eagles, they beat the Saints 40-29. to Saints tried to come back. Scored 22 points in the fourth quarter. Eagles blew their load in the first half. Saints tried to come back. Couldn't. Miles Sanders actually had a decent game. So that's like the first time all season he's had that. A decent game. And then other games we had going on. We had the Dolphins beating the Jets. I mean, Joe Flacco's first start this season for the Jets. Threw two touchdowns, lost, threw for 291 yards in the game as well. Lives Moore had 141 on the air as well. The Washington football team beat the Cam Newton-led Panthers 27-21. to so It's a good job by Taylor Heineke he having himself a very nice game. Three touchdowns, 206 yards through the air. Terry McLaurin also had a tri- uh, a grant, not a grant, good Lord, 100 yards through the air as well. And then the 49ers dispatched the Daxville Jaguars. Even though it was close to start, uh, the 49ers – figured it out 130 to 10 Debo Samuel 79 yards on the ground and touchdown there Debo Samuel's a baller. I mean, we discussed this last week, like Debo Samuel is the dude. We love Debo Samuel around here games going on in progress right now. We already talked about the chiefs and Cowboys game, 16 to three. They just kicked the extra point. And then we have the Cardinals beating the Seahawks seven to three with Colt McCoy, still the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals because Kyler Murray is still out with an injury. then we have the Cincinnati Bengals beating, The Las Vegas Raiders 10-6. The Bengals have the ball first and 10 on basically the zero-yard line. (laughs) That's what it says on ESPN. First and 10 at the Cincinnati zero. It is on the Raiders' goal line. So that means the Raiders probably went for it on fourth down. Did not get it. At least that's what I'm going to assume. I haven't seen anything from the game. Because right after the Bills game ended, and then right after the Vikings game ended, I came down here and started recording a show. Because I was like, let's get the stuff out now. And I'm in a lot angrier mood, I guess. If you compare the Jaguars' loss to the Colts' loss, I would say I was just depressed after that game. I had no energy after that game. Like, I wasn't really tired. I was just like, I have no energy to disperse on the Buffalo Bills at this point in time. I'm just going to sit here, watch football, not do anything the entire day. And then I went up to Texas Roadhouse to hang out with some friends up in Ames. That was all I did. And then I ranted about it on Wednesday. Today... I'm full of energy, because I'm super pissed off. I was just disappointed and depressed that game. I'm pissed at this game, because how just never close it was. Good frickin' lord. And when some of these games that happened this week, on Sunday, there was some thi- this is something I th- that popped up on my phone this morning. It was right when I woke up, I got an update, and it was from, what app was it? Bleacher Report. And I don't really use Bleacher Report, I usually just have it to check scores, but sometimes they'll give some reports like this, Ian Rappaport said, League's execs believe that at least three and as many as five signal callers could go in round one of the 2021 2022 NFL Draft. Four to five. Now, personally, I don't see it, but I could understand where they're coming from. I think three. And I've kind of changed who my thought is the third one now. Because we'll release the quarterback rankings on Wednesday and if you followed the recent quarterback rings we've done anyways you should know who the three quarterbacks are not necessarily in that order but those are the three quarterbacks I think Matt Corral Malik Wilson Kenny Pickett I think those are your top three guys in the draft I think those are the only ones they'll get drafted in the first round at this point now I think someone like Desmond Ritter Carson Strong Sam Howell can definitely put their names back into the first round conversation but as of right now I'm gonna go with just the two or the three sorry But if you look at some teams that could go in the first round, let's look at – this isn't the, the up-to-date draft order because obviously the Sunday games aren't over. We'll find out the actual draft order come up on Tuesday, I believe, once the Monday Night Football game is over. But this is what we're looking at for teams that could use a quarterback, just that the picks they're at right now. Okay? Games happen. Picks are going to change a little bit. But as of right now, sitting here at 413 here at Central Time, this is what we got. The Lions could draft a quarterback at 1. Texans at 2. Then we've got the Eagles at 5, 11, and 14, 15. I know I like Jalen Hurts a lot, and we've talked about this before. I said this in the mock draft we did. I think the Eagles could build around Jalen Hurts. I think they could. I think Jalen Hurts has got a very nice skill set. I think he's a really good leader. And we're talking about just leadership. I think he might be the best one, that even including the quarterbacks in this draft. I just think that the Eagles, with how hard it seemed like they were trying to replace Jalen Hurts and how little they seemed committed to Jalen Hurts, there's part of me that's like, okay, they might go after a quarterback in this draft. But Nick Sirianni, I don't know if he makes it the, the, after the end of the season. I don't know if Jalen Hurts, what their feelings are at this point in the season. He's played well this season. He hasn't played great. He's played decent this season. But I think they could definitely look at one. I don't think the Giants will. I know a lot of people say Daniel Jones, but I I don't think they will. The Fal- the, the Washington football team and the Falcons at 9-10 and 10 could definitely look at one. The, the Dolphins will be linked with one, but I don't think that's happening. The Broncos at 14, they could definitely be looking at one. The controversial one, the Browns at 16. It's because of the fact that this team, I know there's been a lot of things that have gone on with the Browns this year. I know there's a lot of injuries that have taken place. I know Baker's not playing 100%. But if you look at what's going on behind the scenes of Cleveland Browns, you've got a GM that didn't draft Baker Mayfield. You've got a coach that didn't draft Baker Mayfield. When you have those two guys gone, if you don't have your GM that drafted you, coach that drafted you, most of the time, those two guys, the new GM and the new head coach, will want a guy they pick. Baker's fine. He got them into a playoff game. He won a playoff game. But can he get any farther than that? I don't know. The romanticism behind him winning the playoff game and him getting them the playoffs and him being the, the big character, that's fine he's just a bang average quarterback. He's tough. Great leader. I'll give him that. But he doesn't have freaking John Dorsey or Hugh Jackson or Freddie Kitchens there anymore. I think it's Andrew Barry's their GM and Kevin Stefanski. And this is supposed to be a really good team. This was supposed to be one of the most complete teams in the NFL. They addressed their weaknesses on defense and this team was going to be awesome. Again, they've had a lot of injuries. So I'm going to take some steam off baker for the injuries they've had but he's not that amazing and i think there's going to be some sort of conversations around getting a new quarterback in the building right wrong or otherwise now do they think these quarterbacks in this draft can be better than baker mayfield down the line time will tell but i think they're a real possibility because i think baker's just average and there's nothing wrong with being average but you don't want your franchise quarterback to be average. It's not really what you want franchise in. <laughs> I think the Panthers could be a team that looks at one as well. Sam Darnold ain't it. Cam Newton had a really nice game today. Today, will that continue? I don't know. He's battled a crap ton of injuries. But they could trade for Deshaun Watson, but I think they could definitely be a team to look at one. The Saints, I think they could look at one as well. I know Jameis Winston's there, but they could look at one. They could definitely look at a quarterback. The Steelers... It's probably Big Ben's last year. You're not going into a season starting with Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins. I refuse to believe that's what they're gonna do. I just I I refuse to believe that they will go into a season with just Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins. That would be horrific to see. <laughs> and we got the Lions again at 27, and then that's pretty much it for the first round, anyways. I know there's second round picks we could look at, but again, the six quarterbacks we just mentioned I think are the ones that you're gonna be talking about for the first round. That's Corral, it's Willis, it's Kenny Pickett, Carson Strong, Desmond Ritter, and Sam Howell. Dark horses, you could have Sam Hartman, Hendon Hooker. That might be pretty much it, if we're being honest here. But five, I don't really see it. I know there's teams that need quarterbacks in this draft, but you probably won't see one drafted first. I think when you see a quarterback draft, we're going to see it closer to 10. With Washington. I think Corral will be the first one off the board at this point. I think Corral will be number one. But it won't be at number one. At least, I don't... That's not... I That's what I think at this point. And I know the same thing can be said. I know what we just said about the Browns. can be the exact thing said for the Detroit Lions. But they owe Jared Goff a shit ton of money. And the GM that's the Lions GM now was a scouting director for the Rams when they drafted Jared Goff. There's a reason they traded for him. Because they could have done some stupid three-team trade... Goff goes somewhere else, and they get picks. That's what they could have done, but no, they got Goff. Goff isn't terrible. I know he's not great, but they have way other needs on their team, like edge rusher. It's something on defense, just in general. Figure that out. And then we can start talking about quarterback. And Then you can look at next year, because next year's draft should be pretty decent. Like, Bryce Young will be available in that. CJ Stroud, I think, should be available in that as well, because he'll be a junior. There's going to be some good quarterbacks in next year's draft. So if you don't want to get one this year and wait until Jared Goff's contract winds down a little bit more, then do that. But I, yeah, I I don't really see five because if you look at last year's draft class who had five quarterbacks, you look at the 2018 draft class that had five quarterbacks in the first round, you look even look at the 2020 NFL draft class that had four quarterbacks. None of the guys that are getting drafted this year have done the same things that those other quarterbacks have or have the same ceilings as these other quarterbacks. Does that make sense? Like, you're not drafting Corral or Willis at number one. At least, that's what I don't think. I don't think you're drafting Pickett at number one either. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. We have until April to have this all figured out. But as I say here on November 21st at 4.19 in the afternoon... I don't think a quarterback will go number one. And I don't think there'll be five in the draft. My gut says three. I could see four. I don't think five. Okay? Sound good? And we talked about some quarterbacks just a little bit ago about next year's draft class. And good lord, they balled out. The two quarterbacks that we just talked about balled out. And I want to get to the, sec- the one who's ranked lower second. I want to get to him in a little bit. First off, we got to talk about Bryce Young, who played second on Saturday out of the two quarterbacks I want to talk about. And Bryce Young saw the stuff that this unnamed quarterback did and was like, you know what? I want to raise you one. Against a top 25 team in Arkansas, Bryce Young, 31 for 40, 559 yards with five touchdowns. That is the second most passing yards in a game in SEC history behind K.J. Costello when he was at Mississippi State. 559 passing yards. And I know Arkansas's defense is not the most insane defense ever, but 559 yards is insane. Just for perspective, they gave up over 600 yards to Ole Miss as a team. They gave up five and almost 600 yards passing to Bryce Young. And Brian Robinson carved him up on the ground as well, had 122 yards on the ground. But Jamison Williams, 190 yards, three touchdowns. John Mechie, 173 yards, a touchdown. But then Traylon Burks... 179 yards, two touchdowns. Dude's a cheat code. You've heard me talk about Traylon Burks quite a bit on the show. You should know at this point, if you haven't looked at my pre-draft rankings or mid-season prospect rankings, you should go and look at that on LoganBlackmanShow.com. But Traylon Burks, to me, is the number one wide receiver in this draft class. It's not because mainly, like, oh, he's not going to put up the most insane numbers ever. But you look at his body... And he's 6'3", 220, 230 pounds, can run, outrun any defender, outmuscle any defender, outjump any defender. That dude is insane. And I think once we get closer to the combine, I think that's where Trail and Burks will start separating themselves from the receivers. Like, he could eat Chris Olave. <laughs> I'm fairly confident in saying that. And Chris Alave is great. I love Chris Olave. He had a great day on Saturday as well. But Traylon Burks does not have an insane quarterback throwing to him. I like K.J. Jefferson. My friend Ryan and I were talking about the top five quarterbacks in the SEC. I think K.J. Jefferson is a top five quarterback in the SEC. But he doesn't have Bryce Young throwing in the football. He don't have C.J. Stroud throwing in the football or Matt Corral throwing in the football or Malik Willis throwing in the football. No. He has K.J. Jefferson, who's a fine quarterback. But he's not those guys. And he's really the only real weapon on Arkansas. So you would imagine that the defense would be putting all their time and effort into stopping Traylon Burks. And he even played with a leg injury against Alabama. And still put up almost 200 yards receiving. He averaged 22.4 yards per catch. Traylon Burks is insane. Traylon Burks is an insane physical specimen that I think should be going first out of the wide receivers in next year's draft class. I think time will come with that, and I think this performance against Alabama, playing Hurts, putting up the numbers that he did on the road, I think this will help him in that regard of pushing his name up higher in the draft boards. Like, Mel Kuyper has him sixth on his draft board. What the hell is that? (laughs) He's a more athletic, bigger version of Drake London, and Drake London's a top-ten player, in his draft. And I like Drake London a lot. I had Drake London at the third receiver in the draft. Behind Burks and Olave. Now he's hurt. Burks played through an injury. I know there are different injuries. But Burks is playing hurt. And I know Drake London is a former basketball player. Still is a basketball player I think on USC. But I'd take trail on Burks. Jameson Williams is trying to push his name up there as well. Jamison Williams is a freaking baller. And he transferred... From Ohio State and is putting up monster numbers at Alabama so it shouldn't be surprised to put up monster numbers because he's a former Ohio State guy but good lord there's some good wide receivers next year and in the other game the other quarterback I want to talk about CJ Stroud good freaking god and this game went how I feared it would happen we said this on Friday Michigan State cannot keep up with Ohio State if it turns into a scoring bout can Peyton Thorn keep up with Ohio State? That answer is no. If Ohio State starts clicking because Michigan State's defense is trash, this game's over. And that's why the spread was at 19. Michigan State cannot stop Ohio State's offense. That is what happened in this game. This game was over at halftime. It was 49 to nothing at halftime. This is a number 7 ranked team in the nation getting shit stomped by Ohio State on the road like that. They had their way with Michigan State on Saturday. And I didn't know if this would actually happen. This is what I feared would happen, and it did. Peyton Thorne is the second-best quarterback in the Big Ten. We have talked about that a few times this season, but there is a gap there between Peyton Thorne and C.J. Stroud. And I remember earlier in the season, we have defended C.J. Stroud to the hill. We have done this numerous times on this show. Talking about the guy that's bashing C.J. Stroud on Twitter for how he struggled early in the season. Matt Miller on Twitter, who's one of the NFL draft guys, said Ohio State should start thinking about playing one of their other five-star quarterbacks because he was struggling early in his first ever starts in college. His first games (laughs) in college football were against Minnesota on the road in a Big Ten matchup on a Thursday and number 12 Oregon. And people are like, oh yeah, he kind of stinks. He didn't put up great numbers against Tulsa because he was freaking hurt. He didn't even play the next game. And then after that, five touchdowns, five touchdowns, four touchdowns, then one, then two, then five, then six. And this dude is the guy that everybody on Twitter said sucked. This is why you don't make stupid takes like that on Twitter. CJ Stroud has all the talent in the world. We said that preseason. This dude is talented. He's got too many weapons to be bad. And he's found his stride. He's not hurt anymore. He sat out the game after Tulsa. He ain't hurt. C.J. Stroud is freaking good. And Ohio State just had their way with Michigan State. At halftime, C.J. Stroud was 32 for 35, 432 yards, six touchdowns, no picks. That's at halftime. Chris Olave 140 yards. Garrett Wilson, 126 yards. Jackson Smith and Jigba, 105 yards. Five touchdowns between them. Julian Fleming had the other touchdown in the game. Six passing touchdowns at halftime. And this dude sucked. Remember that? There's a dude on Twitter whose Twitter account doesn't exist anymore, to my knowledge, had dedicated his entire Twitter to bashing C.J. Stroud. And I said, when the season started, C.J. Stroud's going to have to have a great year to keep the job next year from Quinn Ewers. We said that at the beginning of the year because it's going to be a... It was... It was okay, let's try to explain this, how I tried to back that. This could be an example of like when Kelly Bryant was a starting quarterback at Clemson and then Trevor Lawrence comes in. And Trevor Lawrence is the number one rated high school quarterback. Kelly Bryant led Clemson in the national championship game. But they didn't win it. And he had a pretty average year. And Trevor Lawrence comes in and beats him out. If you have a good team, but you're playing average or putting up average numbers, you're at risk of getting benched the next year. Right, wrong, or otherwise. Quinn Ewers is the highest-rated high school quarterback ever. So you think if C.J. Stroud played average this year, he'd keep his job going to next year? No, he wouldn't. We said that preseason. I'm saying it now. But the the fact of the matter is, C.J. Stroud is playing his ass off. And the problem is, as well, for the player that was on the other side of the field, that was in the Heisman candidacy, that we gave the Heisman Trophy to, in the midseason awards, had 25 yards on six carries. I know it was a tall order. You were underdogs by 19 points in this game. But watching C.J. Stroud throw for 432 yards and six touchdowns at halftime, and Bryce Young set a new SEC record for passing yards in the game, can you still give it to Kenneth Walker? And I know there's an argument out there for C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young that their wide receivers are really damn good, and that's 100% true. All of these guys are possible first-round draft picks. Wilson, Olave, Williamson, Williams, Jameson Williams. I have combined Williams and Jameson, and John Mechie. Mechie probably won't be, but he has an option to be a first-round draft pick because he's a hard worker, he doesn't fear blocks, he'll fight for everything, and he's super-frickin'-fast. He has a chance. I don't think he will, but he has a chance. Jamison Williams definitely has a chance to be a first-round draft pick. Probably will be. And I know there's an argument for that, about these guys having used their weapons. But you have to use them. <laughs> you have to put up the numbers like this. Like, if CJ Stroud's not there, are they still balling out? Maybe, but we'll never know. It's like the whole scenario in the 2004 draft class. Eli Manning stays in San Diego. The Giants take Ben Roethlisberger. The Steelers take Phillip Rivers. Do the Chargers win the Super Bowl? Do the Steelers win one? Because Ben Roethlisberger won two Super Bowls there. Do they still win one? Who the hell knows? All I know is CJ Stroud is playing his ass off at this point in time. And this kid sucked early in the season. Remember that? He sucked. He's 8th in the nation in passing yards, 4th in the passing touchdowns, and has only five interceptions on the season. He threw three of them in the first three games. He has thrown two since then. Now, both of them came against Nebraska, but he's thrown two since then. In the past two games, he's thrown 11 touchdowns against two top 25 teams, Purdue and Michigan State. He's thrown 11 touchdowns. Now, neither one of them have the most insane defenses ever, but 11 touchdowns in two games against two top 25 teams is pretty damn impressive. And Bryce Young, again, baller. He was my number two in the Heisman race. What did we say the other day? It was Kenneth Walker, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Matt Corral. Was that our top five? I don't really remember. But I also seen some defenders in there. I think Nicobe Dean from Georgia could definitely be mentioned in there because of how good Georgia's defense, or not good, how great Georgia's defense has been this year. But to put it in respect, Ohio State put up the same scoreline as Georgia did against Charleston Southern this weekend. That's how bad Ohio State kicked the shit out of Michigan State on Saturday. Georgia was playing an FCS school, or maybe they're a low-level FBS school. I don't know. Put up the exact same numbers against them. Had the same number of points at halftime as well. They were both up 49-0 at halftime. Easy game for Georgia. Easy game for Ohio State. Mel Tucker should have signed that 10-year, $95 million contract last week (laughs) he should not have waited he should sign that yeah you know i'll sign that and then have this game and that contract i don't know if we talked about that on friday or not that contract confused the hell out of me anyways he said three and a half two and basically two and three quarters years coaching in the in college football as a head coach like and only one year of really good like colorado was seven and five i think they went two and five last year And their defense reeks. We have made fun of Michigan State's defense a hundred times on this show. Their defense reeks. (laughs) And you have a performance like that against a Big Ten rival like that. I don't know if that contract will stand. We have games like that. Like this just, you remember what we also said on Friday. If Oregon and Ohio State played again, Ohio State would kick the shit out of them. Oregon was the one team in the top five that no one was complaining about that we said, why is no one complaining about this team being in the top five? Let alone top three. Who the hell really thinks Oregon is the top three team in the country? We said that on Friday. We said Utah would beat Oregon this weekend, which isn't that surprising because Utah was favored in the game. I didn't think they'd beat them this bad, 38-7. to Oregon lost to a terrible Stanford team. But they beat Ohio State... So by the college football playoff, stupid logic, they were like, they had to be ranked higher than Ohio State. If they played now, Ohio State would murder them. Oregon stinks. Why they were top three team in the nation. And they shot up like crazy in the first college football rankings. College football playoff rankings. Like, you want to use the logic of they beat Ohio State so they had to be ranked higher. You didn't use it the same for Michigan, Michigan State, because Michigan was ranked higher. But Good lord. Oregon. This is what exactly what we said on Friday. They don't deserve to be in the top four. Everybody's getting pissed off at Alabama being the top four. Why was no one getting upset that Oregon was in there? And then this happened because Utah is an extremely tough state to play in with BYU and Utah being very hostile environments. Insane places to play. Very rarely, no matter how good these teams are, those crowds are insane. And Oregon got shit stomped 38 to 7. I've said that phrase more this show than I think I have ever. Shit stomped. (laughs) Because that's what's been going on this weekend. But Utah just killed them. 38 to 7. Just like we said, they don't deserve to be in the top four. And now I don't even think they deserve to be in the top seven. (laughs) Top maybe top ten. They got embarrassed. This team lost to, or- to Stanford. I don't even remember the last game Stanford won. Let's actually I think Oregon might be the last game Stanford actually won. Yeah, they were 3 and 2 when they played Oregon. They've lost every game since. And Oregon, for some reason, deserves to be in a top three spot. This got blown up by freaking Cal, Oregon State, U- and Utah. Back to back weeks, they lost by a lot of double digits 52 7 against Utah, 35 14 against Oregon State, 41 to 11 against Cal. But yeah, Oregon deserves to be in the top three because they lost to them. But they beat Ohio State, and we're going to have Ohio State up there, so we have to put or- – that is some dumbass logic right there. And they got shit stomped against Utah, and rightfully so. They got brutalized against Utah. And then other games that happened this week, Cincinnati, they came out to play against SMU. This is a game they needed bad, and they're going to be in the top four, and rightfully so. We had them in the top four in my college football playoff rankings, and now they're back. Or right where they should be. This is a game they needed to have. And like we talked about, you cannot go into the college rankings and say, oh, well, we're undefeated, but we barely beat Tulsa and Tulane and almost lost to Navy. Three terrible football teams and struggled again at times against USF. Four terrible football teams. And then you're going up against an then 8-2 and two SMU team with Tanner Mordecai just throwing the shit out of the football all year. And then you kill them. You blow them out of the friggin' water. 48-14. to I'm very happy. Good job. The end of that game. Desperator balled out, which is awesome. 274 yards passing. He had 46 yards rushing and a touchdown. He also had a receiving touchdown in the game. He had five total touchdowns in the game. No turnovers. Like, they needed this game. They really needed this game. Because if the College Football Playoff Committee had any reason to keep them out, it was a bad game against SMU. That was the only thing that could realistically keep them out. I mean, you'd it'd piss off everybody. Really piss off everybody, but <laughs> they had they would have a reason. They could have it. I'm not saying it's right, but they could have had it. Like Michigan just blew out Maryland. I bet if Cincinnati struggled against SMU this week, Michigan would have jumped Maryland, oh, Cincinnati. I am willing to bet that. <laughs> it won't happen, but I'd be willing to if if they had a rough game against SMU, that would have happened. That's I'm firmly confident in saying that, and people would lose their ever loving minds about that. Good Lord, they would lose their minds about it, <laughs> and rightfully so, rightfully so. But I'm I'm pretty confident that would happen. Michigan blew out Maryland, like we said 59 to 18. Notre Dame blew out Georgia Tech 55 to zero. Okie State beat Texas Tech 23 nothing. Clemson killed Wake Forest by 21 points, 48 to 27. Baylor beat Kansas State 20 to 10. We had Ole Miss beat vanderbilt 31 to 17 matt corral 326 yards also had 29 yards on the ground he had two passing touchdowns also an interception as well came up with a big dub big dub for Col- for ole miss and corral this weekend over a very very strong <laughs> vanderbilt team then we had byu beating up on georgia southern we had wisconsin beat north nebraska texas a&m taking apart perryview a&m pitt beating virginia kenny pickett Throwing for a few touchdowns in this game. Also had 340 yards. Passing through two interceptions, though, in the game. But, baller. Jordan Addison, 202 yards, four touchdowns. I think he's the first receiver in Pitt history to have 200-plus yards and four touchdowns or something like that. Baller game for him. Then we had NC State taking apart Syracuse. We had UTSA coming back to beat UAB on Saturday in a last-second touchdown. Mississippi State beat Tennessee State 55-10. to The Final top 25 game that we not get to was Iowa State taking on Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma won twenty eight to twenty one. Not a pretty game. Not a pretty game on any side of the ball. Ohio, Oklahoma scored on their first drive of the game with a Caleb Williams rush touchdown. Not a lot to really talk about here. Brock Purdy got bent. I don't know if he got hurt or benched or whatever. He didn't. He was out for a little bit, and then he came back, tried to lead a comeback, but then threw a a really ugly pass at the end of the game to get picked off. And Oklahoma ended up seeing it out. But they were driving. They were driving. Then Brock Purdy threw a, an ugly, 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 ugly. Intercepts. This is not his best game, Brock Purdy. It was not his best, but yeah, he's tough. I'll give him some credit. He's tough. He's a tough sob. And this season is just back to stereotypical Iowa State football: six and five. Yeah, six and five. This is remember, it's the best Iowa State team ever, and we we knew they were preseason. We said ten and two. We can go back and listen preseason. I said 10-2, and lost to West Virginia and Oklahoma. They've lost other games along that way as well. They got blown out against Iowa. Had a rough game what Was it, against Baylor. Then had a rough game against Texas Tech. 62-yard field goal to win is a rough way to lose. They beat Oklahoma State, killed Texas. That was pretty fun. But yeah, and they had a rough game against UNI, which is not entirely surprising because, again, it's what you've kind of expected at this point. Whoever bet Iowa State to cover 30 points against UNI is just stupid. Never watched Iowa State versus UNI before or watched Matt Campbell week one ever. When you talk about that preseason, like right before that game started, Matt Campbell has a loot. If you're looking at this combined scores of Matt Campbell's tenure at Iowa State in the first game of the season, they have lost. Like they're, The combined scores from Iowa State and the teams they have played, they have lost week one. And that stayed the same after this game because they didn't do enough. They won by six points against UNI. And then the final game that we're going to talk about for the state of Iowa was Iowa versus Illinois. Not the final game. Second to final game. Because I want to talk about a team we just mentioned, but I want to bring up Iowa first. Iowa won 33-23 against Illinois. I was at family Thanksgiving, and they're Iowa State fans. My dad's side of the family. We went to the farm, had Thanksgiving, because I think they're going up the lake on Thanksgiving. So <laughs> I didn't see a lot of this game, but Iowa won 33-23. Rougher game than what I was expecting. This is a team they should never lose to, Illinois, much like they should never lose to Minnesota or Iowa State. They should never lose this game. Don't care how bad either team is or how good Illinois is or how bad Iowa is, they should not lose to Illinois. This is the eighth straight year they've beaten Illinois. This is not a team they should really struggle with. (laughs) Like, what, six years against Iowa State? They haven't lost to Minnesota at home since 99 or something like that. They've won Floyd of Rosedale six or seven times in a row. Teams they should never lose to. Don't matter how good they are, they should never lose to these teams. And this is what happened this week. Uh, Alex Padilla, a lot of passes from what I heard got dropped in the game. He went 6-for-17 interception, 83 yards passing. A lot of drop balls from what I heard. They ran the ball pretty well. Uh, Tyler Goodson had over 130 yards rushing. Gavin Williams, 56 yards. Arlen Bruce, who's played awesome this year, the freshman out of Ankeny slash Kansas, I think that's where he's originally from, then transferred to Ankeny, Iowa, won a state championship, and then Ankeny just lost to Southeast Polk for the state championship this year. So screw both those teams. Marlon Bruce, 45 yards through the air as well. Charlie Jones had a 100-yard kickoff return, which is really cool. But yeah, I didn't get to see a whole lot of this game, unfortunately. Unfortunately, did not. Because when you're surrounded by a bunch of Iowa State fans, I did have an Iowa sweatshirt on, but I <laughs> there was not a lot I saw. I'm going to just be brutally honest there. There's not a whole lot I saw in this game. But from what I heard, rough game. Alex Padilla didn't have the greatest statistical game but a lot of drop balls from what it sounds like. But they ended up winning 33-23, so that's all that really matters in the end. And then finally, the game I want to talk about a little bit the most, we talked about this team just a little bit, was the UNI Panthers. They beat up on Western Illinois 41-3. to This is a team, a Western Illinois team, that has always been seemingly at the basement of the Missouri Valley Football Conference. And this year, they have won two games, which is double the wins they've pretty much had over the past three years, it feels like. That's not factually correct, but I... I haven't taken the time to look. They've just been really, really bad. They usually win zero to one games a year. They've won two and have been competitive in a lot of games this year, as opposed to what they've done recently in recent history. And you and I at home on Senior Day takes on the Leathernecks of Western Illinois and wins the game forty-one to three. Started off slow. It's ten to three at halftime. You and I scored twenty-one points in this third quarter alone, and then ten points in the fourth quarter to kind of seen it out. Theo Day. Had a nice day, 241 yards and a touchdown there. Dom Williams had a really nice 99-yard touchdown run, which was the joint longest UNI Panther history, I believe. Had 168 yards on the ground with two touchdowns. Terrence Kamara, 45 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Vance McShane had a touchdown as well. Deion McShane had 15 yards on the ground as well, as well as 39 yards through the air. Sam Schnee, 82 yards, touchdown there as well. And Terrence Kamara again. Had 60 yards through the air as well. Isaiah Weston only got 27 on the air as well. For West Illinois, Connor Sampson, 163 yards passing, three interceptions. Not his best performance out there. Also had <laughs> negative 75 yards on the ground. That's not really ideal. But the big thing that came out of this game, which is what was very ta- very much talked about through the state of Iowa, at least at this level, is that do they make the playoffs going 6-5? and five? For those of you who are unaware, the FCS does not do bowl games. They just do a full playoff series, and it's really fun. It's a very exciting time. But going six and five is rough, especially with the way they ended the season. They won one of the last three games. That's not a great way to start your playoff bid. Especially losing to Illinois State, a team you should have beat who is the second worst team in the Missouri Valley Conference this year. I think Western, I'm pretty confident Western Illinois beat them already this year. And then losing to Missouri State. Close games. Missouri State's a good team this year. The Fighting Bobby Petrinos have had a very nice year, but Illinois State's a team they should never, never should lose to. They lost a rough one against South Dakota. They lost a rough one against Southern or Northern Northeast North Dakota State. But then you look at some of the positives they had this year. You beat up Southern Illinois and South Dakota State, two top ten teams at the time. South Dakota State, you beat them down pretty good on the road. Like South Dakota State was never really in that game. And you took it to Youngstown State, 34-7. You had a very close game against the top 10 FBS team at the time in Iowa State. And you had a very nice game against Sacramento State and St. Thomas, which is what you should have done. But losing Illinois State was rough. Closing the season out at 1-2 in the last three games, they needed to have a massive result against Western Illinois to make the playoffs. And they did, 41-3. And they made the playoffs. They've made the the FCS playoffs, but <laughs> it's a rough gauntlet for the UNI Panthers. I think they said they were the last two in. Them and Southern Illinois were the last two teams in the playoffs, which is not great. They're taking on Eastern Washington, who has the number one pass defense or pass offense in the FCS, with UNI having one of the best defenses in all of FCS. And then they're going to take on the winner of this game. Takes on Montana who just had a very big win over Montana State this past weekend, and they are 9-2. In Montana, going to Eastern Washington, then going to Montana, good freaking God, that's going to be a rough... <laughs> that's that's pretty rough. Not going to lie, that is that is fairly rough goings out there. And Montana is a freaking sixth seed. This is ridiculous. Now, there's some other teams. There are six Missouri Valley Conference teams in the playoffs this year. You have, unsurprisingly, North Coast State... Then uh, the high next highest seed for the Missouri Valley Conference. Well, I guess those the only seeds you got. You got one through eight. They're seeded. The everybody else is just kind of there. But then you have Southern Illinois made it again. Like we said with you and I, they're one of the last two in. Then you had South Dakota, South Dakota State, Missouri State, you and I, and I'm forgetting one. Where's the other one? Was there only five? No, oh, there's six. Yeah, so I didn't count you and I. Southern Illinois, South Dakota, North Dakota State, South Dakota State. Missouri State and you and I all made the playoffs. You had some big sky teams in there as well, like Montana. We said Montana State, Sacramento. Uh, I shouldn't say Sacramento State because I'm not confident of them being a, South, a big big sky team. Same thing with UC Davis; they made the playoffs as well. They're taking on South Dakota State. So Illinois and South Dakota will take on each other in the first round, and then the winner of that game gets to play North Dakota State. So that's an all Missouri Valley Conference matchup right there. Then we have Sam Houston State, the reigning national champions, being the one seed. Then we have 2-seed North Coast State, 3-seed James Madison, Sacramento State's the 4-seed, Villanova, not just a basketball school, is the 5th seed, and then we had Montana, 6th seed, and then Elon, the 7th seed, and Montana State as the 8th seed. So, yeah, Stephen F. Austin taking on Incarnate Word. We have Montana State taking on a – crap, what's this team called? I can't – I think they're a Tennessee school, but I can't remember. <laughs> they have uh, Holy Cross playing, they're taking on Vill- – SHU, should have looked up the actual schools. I'm just looking at the bracket right now. UC Davis taking on Jet Sacramento. Chiefs. they're basing the winner of this game takes on Sacramento State. South Dakota State. We have Davidson taking on Kennesaw State. Eastern Washington taking on UNI. And Florida A&M taking on, oh, crap. I know these teams. It's just I'm having a brain fog right now. And I don't want to look it up because I don't want to take out too much more time talking about that with just going, uh, 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 um. So yeah, that's your FCS playoff picture. I was relatively shocked to see the UNI Panthers make the playoffs. They're a good team. Six and five is a little interesting record. But you have some very nice wins. You've had some very good results in there as well. Yeah, you had a rough loss against Illinois State. But you beat really good football teams in San Diego State. Or, jeez, uh, South Dakota State. I don't know why I can't say South Dakota State. It's Southern Illinois. Had a close game against Iowa State and blew out your last game of the year against Western Western Illinois. That's good stuff. It might not be the greatest, but it's good stuff. Six and five, rough to be six and five, but they had themselves a very nice year. At large bid for the SDS Championships was announced at 11-30 today. You and I in the national rankings. They're first in turnovers gained. West Isaiah Weston is first in yards per reception. Part yards average yards per reception. Theo Day. Second in the nation for passing yards per completion. They're third in fumble recoveries. Uh, Huff telling is third in fumbles recovered. And Matthew Cook, the kicker, is fourth in the nation in field goal percentage. Like, this is a good team. It's rough to be six and five, but this is a good football team. This is a very, very good football team. They're just rough. I don't know if they'll make it past the first round because Eastern Washington, like we said, is a good football team with a number one pass offense. Can you and I keep up with them? Will their run game be able to keep them off the field? That's what we're hoping for, really. That's the main hope here. But, hey, hey, they made it. So why can't the Buffalo Bills make it? I know they're in the wild card spot right now and might be in the hunt after Thursday because I'm a little nervous for the Saints game. I know it shouldn't be something I'm worried about because they're playing Trevor Simeon. I shouldn't be worried about that. But I am. I am. New Orleans is not an easy place to play. And the Bills are not. They're very odd. Blown out a lot of teams this year and got blown out once and lost another game they shouldn't have lost to the Jaguars and lost another game they shouldn't have lost to the freaking Steelers. And all the games I'm least upset about, the the Titans game is the one I'm least upset about, and that's the, probably the one I should be the most upset about because that was they were inches away from that game to win that one, but they played well, they just lost the game. Jaguars Titans or Jaguars Colts game sucked. Steelers game sucked. Titans one I I can live with that one. I, I'm fine with living with that one. But I think that is all I've got for you today. But before we close it out. I would just like to say some congratulations to my boy, Terrence Crawford. You know, we're best friends. Iowa guy, I know. He's from Omaha. But it's no coincidence the best city in the state of Nebraska is the one that's close to Iowa. So, you know what? We'll claim, we'll just absorb Omaha into the state of Iowa. We'll take the zoo. We'll take Terrence Crawford. We'll take the College World Series. We'll take all of that. Bring it over to Iowa. You guys can have council bluffs. Okay? Even trade. It's going to be weird how the border looks, but we'll take Omaha. You guys take council bluffs. Okay? Is that fair? I think it's a fair trade, but Terrence Crawford knocked, well, not knocked out. He would have knocked out if Sean Porter's dad slash trainer did not throw the towel in, but man, that was a fun fight. They were throwing like crazy. Terrence Crawford was typical Terrence Crawford. Didn't do anything really until the later stage of the fight. Didn't look tired at all. That's just how he does. He operates smooth. He's the best closer in all of boxing and ended up closing the fight out against Sean Porter in the 10th round. Two knockdowns in the 10th round. Sean Porter's dad again slash trainer called it off, and Sean Porter could have fought, but the inevitable is going to happen. Terrence Crawford was going to knock him out if they did not throw that towel in. Got knocked down twice in the span of a good 30 seconds. Terrence Crawford's going to knock him out. And even if it went to decision, I think Terrence Crawford won. It was a very back-and-forth fight, but if anything, I don't think Sean Porter won. If Terrence Crawford didn't win, I think it would have just gone to a draw especially if it kept going on after the 10th round and Terrence Crawford did not knock out Sean Porter eventually. Like you get in ten, a knockdown, two knockdowns in that round. You get a 10-8 round, and then you just close out the fight because that's what Terrence Crawford will do. And now the big fight up next is Roll Spence, which is the fight everybody wants to see because Roll Spence is a giant dickbag. So that's the fight I want to see. Terrence Crawford, one of my favorite boxers, congratulations. Has a real shot, or not real shot because he's already in the conversation, but depending on who you ask, he might be the best pound for pound boxer in the world right now. To me, I'm going to give it that to Canelo. Just it's not like there's a very wide margin there, but Terence Crawford is definitely number two. The Canelo I think right now is still number one. He's a lot more consist- a lot more uh, active than Terence Crawford. The- Terence's last fight was a year ago, more than a year ago. He's Kell Brooks. Canelo's fought three times in 2021 alone. He fought the Turkish guy, he fought Billy Joe Saunders, and he just fought Caleb Plant. Like He's been active, and I could be missing another fight in there as well. He might have fought him before the Turkish fight, but I don't really remember. I can't really remember that. But Crawford, stay a little more active, fight Earl Spence. Hopefully Earl Spence starts running for, stops running from him, and we can actually get the fight. Hopefully it's not another year from now. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Very fun fight last night. Again, congratulations to Terrence Crawford. And with that... I will see you all later. Hope you enjoyed this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Hopefully on Thursday, the Bills play a lot better than what they did today. And I will see you all later. Peace.